Okay, friends. Hello, and welcome to another Robcast. And I'm here with Barry Taylor. Hello, mate. How are you? <laughs> Barry Taylor is in the back house. Hello, mate, to you as well. Do I need to put my hands in the air like I don't, don't care? Or <laughs> I am. I am literally putting my hands up in the air with joy because Barry Taylor is here. And uh, there's all kinds of places we could start. You grew up in England. I did, yeah, uh, in uh, a place called Huntingdon, which is on the way to Cambridge in the east of England, and home of Oliver Cromwell, for those in the know. Well, there we go. And you made your way to London at some point. Yeah, as as you do. As you do I in England. I packed up my little knapsack. How hitch. old were you? Oh, when I went to London, about 18. And is that pretty, at that time, pretty standard for... British kids? Well, I, I met, no, I, I sort of went to London by way of Europe. I lived in Holland for a year and I went to London to get involved in the music business because I had some friends that lived in London. So, And you end up as Marvin Gaye's sound man. Uh, well, it's even better than that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really good were it not for the Bay City Rollers. You were the sound man for the Bay City well, Rollers? It, 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 well, no, actually, that's where I became a sound man. Um, so... I'll try and be quick. I had this. We have lots of time, by the I, way. I had a, a friend. So I lived in this little area. I, I lived in, in this small town. And uh, we had a little group of friends. And the one thing we had in common was that one of our friends had an, an, a slightly older brother who had gone to school with a guy named uh, Terry Reed, who was a singer songwriter who became quite famous in Britain. And then moved to California and he like wrote songs with Jackson Brown and people like that. And our friend Ian was his like best friend and then became his like tour manager and stuff and then found his way into the music business. So this little group of friends of mine um, in this kind of nondescript area where we grew up, we all had this access into the music industry. Hmm. So um, via our friend Ian. So I came back from... Uh, living and working in Holland for a while and uh, I was staying with my friend Derek and his brother Ian in London and Ian was uh, working for this sound company and he's like does anybody want a job <laughs> and uh, I was like well what sort of job and he says well I'm going out on this tour um, with the Bay City Rollers and it's going to be nuts and uh, they just need someone to help like move equipment around and I'm like well I wasn't planning on going back to Holland straight away so I'll do it then my friend Ian decided that he wasn't going to do it. So I go off with these other guys that I don't know. And it's like, I don't know, long time ago, the Bay City Rollers, it was like, you know, the one direction of the mid-70s. Oh, wow. And it was nothing but like tartan scarfs and teddy bears and teenage girls throwing themselves off balconies, you know. And um, so I'm on this tour uh, and, you know, you think you're really sort of, a man of the world until you encounter a, a room full of 5,000 screaming teenage girls, you know, trying to destroy these five Scottish guys dressed in tartan and you have to like get them out of <laughs> the way. And, and one night, um, the guy who was doing the sound, uh, I think he, I think it was appendicitis. So he like, so this guy comes, the manager comes up to me and says, you're doing sound tonight. So I was like, oh, okay. And I wasn't that worried because what I'd noticed from the first week of the tour was that it was inconsequential how it sounded because, <laughs> because, because you couldn't hear anything over the 5,000 teenage girls that were screaming in these, in these <laughs> venues. So that was my auspicious beginning. Um, uh, and, and so then from there, uh, I just started working with this company that did mostly work with um, American R&B bands Gladys Knight and the Pips Marvin Gaye I don't know Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes the Stylistics actually all the music that I loved growing up so it was kind of amazing pretty amazing <clears throat> and and I just sort of uh worked out how to do it by the way fascinating to me even interviewing people for this podcast or just when I ask people tell me tell me how you got to be doing what you're doing sometimes yeah. people are like oh when I was seven I knew I was here or oh, yeah. when I was 11, I set my course. But then the other half of humanity, and yeah. I actually think it's half and half, yeah, is like I stumbled into this thing. Somebody didn't show up, and they asked me yeah. if I'd do it. <laughs> That's been my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I still it's am just, trying to work out what I'm going to do when I grow up. So when people 
I still find it fascinating when people are like, well, how do you, you know, how do you find your path in life? Yeah. I was like, well, there's two ways to go about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there were, I mean, there were, the, the funny thing was, is there were resonances. I, I really loved to travel mm-hmm. and I really loved music and I liked the non-traditional. So, you oh, know, interesting. you know, so rock music can be quite non-traditional in terms of a so lifestyle. That was all present in so your was, life. Yeah, that's why I, that, yeah, that's, I'd, I'd always had this curiosity about the world. So that's why I was living in Holland. Um, I, I'd always had, uh, music was and remains my one sort of true church. It's mm. the one place where I, yeah. So that music is from, I don't know from the earliest it's the thing for me so being and so playing music being involved in music was kind of a no-brainer somehow but it was like a the, true north it was yeah, sort of always it's just consistent. it's always been there and 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 my lens for life is i think sort of musical i look at things through ah, the, yeah. so i i look for the rhythms the patterns the hooks the choruses the melodies you know the middle that's eight that's funny i very much relate to that so that when in doubt it, the metaphor is probably going to be musical of some nature yeah exactly feel the beat feel the rhythm yeah. feel the groove you know all, yeah. all, all of those things so so that's kind of how how i i started and and you know it's it's hard work it's also a lot of fun so that's how i wound up doing all of that so there's an australian uh, there's the legend of barry taylor yeah. There's the myth, and yeah. now I want to understand, I want to know the real story because uh, I've heard bits and pieces. Yeah. There's an Australian band to yeah. be named in a moment. Yeah. Who need somebody to go out with them on tour? Yeah. So <laughs> I was on tour with a band called the Stylistics. Yeah. Sure. Bet you by golly, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the Stylistics, but I'd done about three tours with the Stylistics, and the tour that I was on was a tour of what they call working men's clubs in Britain. Mm. I think the American equivalent would probably be like Elks Lodges. <laughs> you know, it's kind of one-dimensional rooms where people go to get drunk yeah. and there's a band playing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, it was less than the spectacular end of the music industry, let's just put it that way. And uh, in the middle of that, and I was with my friend Ian, it's just the two of us. And we get a call from another friend. And he, he said, look, there's this uh, Australian band. They've just moved to London. And they're about to go on tour. They're doing a couple of dates in Europe. And then they're going to go to America. Do you fancy it? And uh, I looked at Ian and Ian looked at me. And we looked at the Batley Variety Club that we were in. And we went, you know how bad can this be? And I hadn't been to America at the time. And I thought, well, that would be interesting. So we said, yeah. So I actually met this band. It was ACDC. I, I, I talked to their manager on the phone, got the job, met them on a ferry going to France for their first gig. And how which, old are they and how old are you? I was like 19. And they were a little bit older. And but they're in the, in unknowns. The unknowns, yeah. And I'm like, ACDC, what are they? Was the guitar player wearing a boy school I, outfit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so so <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, not on the boat. I have no idea. I don't even know what music they're playing. And this is not like MP3 era where you dial it up right, on your phone. Right, you know, right. Don't have the, even the inclination. And, you know, some people tell me they're a glam band. Other people say, you know, they're just a rock band. You know, nobody really knows. I meet them on, uh, but I have a clue because they're opening for Black Sabbath in Paris. So I figure, not the Bay City Rollers, you know. So we 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 get to Paris, and uh, it was a complete and total disaster. They had all this equipment that they'd shipped over from Australia that blew up when they played their first chords because Electricity. all their amps. Yeah. had uh, Australian fuse requirements, and nobody knew that, including them. So they came out, dang. So I thought, well, oh, that's going to be a short job with this lot. you know. And they were incredibly apologetic. <laughs> a were incredibly, short job yeah, with this They were lot. incredibly, um, they felt so bad. Like they kept going, oh, we're sorry. You, know, you guys are such professionals, and we're just you know, like Australian hacks, and we're ashamed of our equipment. Because they literally had like guitar chords in like gym bags with no zips. And I mean, it was it was like the the bottom <laughs> rung of rock yeah. and roll uh, yeah. ascendancy, but 
we were like, ah, no worries. You know, we worked it all out. And, and so um, we just hit the road. We came to America. It was the five of us, uh, or the five of them, and my friend Ian and I in a rented car and a rider truck with their equipment. And, and uh, the first gig, how many are there? Well, so we, if we fly to New York, we get the equipment out of customs, and we drive to Austin, Texas <laughs> to open for ZZ Top. At a place called the Armadillo World Headquarters, which is brilliant. Because, you know, Austin, fantastic place. And the Armadillo is a legendary venue. But basically, it's a barn full of redneck hippies in overalls smoking immense amounts of marijuana. Listening to ZZ Top. And uh, we, we do that and we drive all the way back to New York. And are, and they, good? First, are they good? ACDC? ACDC. Phenomenal. I mean, oh, so and here's the deal. I'm not even uh, at this stage. I mean, I've discovered David Bowie, so my 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 musical taste has evolved beyond a little bit, blues yeah. and R and B and soul and funk and reggae and stuff like that. But I'm I'm a sort of black music aficionado, and I have no time for rock and roll. And there's an electricity to them that is just it's just obvious they're going somewhere, and. The energy so at of the Armadillo Club in Texas, they go, these they Australians go they go, blow the, the, the roof pl- off the joint. Yeah, they, they blow the roof. Then we come back. So then we drive all the way back to New York. Come and this is way. like, you know, three days each way. You I'm know. tired already. Uh, and uh, they play their first gig, which I, I think is the first. Yeah, I think, it, you know, memory is weird. But the first solo gig at CBGB's. And there's like 20 people there. By the end of that tour... How much, long, how much longer is that, that tour? Well, it was supposed tour? to be like six weeks, and it wound up basically. I was sort of really on pretty much of like a three-year tour because things started to take off. So the six weeks became like three months, then it became six months. We, I think, we were doing something like two hundred and fifty shows a year or something, and then they'd record an album in between. And it goes to stadiums. And, and in that first tour, you know, it, it's like we go from these small venues, like solo venues, maybe two, three hundred, to opening for Aerosmith or Kiss or Cheap Trick or something like that. Then it goes to co-headlining with... And before before the end of that tour, one, at the end of that tour, we played the Oakland Stadium, like Bill Graham's Day on the Green. The football stadium. Yeah. I mean, 20 it was, people... To a football yeah, I mean, stadium. You know, I could be wrong. They could have been 25. Right. But, you know, yeah. they could fill the garage. In they some, could fill this room. In a, in a, in a matter of months. And, and he, yeah, and here's what was remarkable. The energy in <laughs> the little room was no different than the energy in the big room. They were exactly the same. They were, like, constant. They could care. On one level, it didn't matter how many people there, there were. It was they were they were doing what they were doing with such a level of intensity that... It was amazing. See, this is always interesting to me when people are like, ooh, if you have a big voice or lots of influence, I'm always like, no, that person that you're looking at thinking, well, it's nice they get to do this. I guarantee if we went and found them in a garage or at a whatever, speaking to 11 people, they were throwing themselves into it when nobody was around. Yeah, they just played their music as if the whole of the universe rested on their shoulders to to do it with... with just amazing energy and no, and you know, no fuss. I mean, Angus has has his thing, you know, his school uniform, but that was actually rooted in reality because when they were in Australia, he used to go straight from school to rehearsals and wear his real school uniform. So it just became this device. Mm. But they're like, they were, I mean, their idea of a, of a costume change was like, oh, have I got a cleaner T-shirt than this one? And then they sort of walk on stage and just go at it for for two hours and blast everybody away. Fascinating. It was quite. It was a phenomenal thing to 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 be on the inside of to sort of see that trajectory. You're like a front row seat to a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, that just catches fire. And, and, and the sort of you know it's it's so funny because obviously they they developed an audience very early on, but you know. It's one of those niche audiences, you know, ACDC. There are, I mean, people still call them a heavy metal band, which I, I, I don't know where that fits because I don't think they are. I think they're a hard rock band if we're going to get particular. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, so everybody assume, uh, particularly 
they were never cool until about <laughs> 10 years ago, maybe. Never cool. <laughs> But sold out stadiums for years, you know, sold, I forget how many albums they've sold, but like somewhere like 250, 300 million albums. I mean, you can look it up. They're like ridiculous. They're bad albums. And, you know, <laughs> and, and, and you get what you, you get one thing with them. Yeah, yeah. It's a relentless blues based, it yeah. is fast or slow with, but funky. That's what I really. That's what I really appreciated was if you stripped it all down, and particularly um, Malcolm, the the rhythm guitarist brother who's no longer in the With band. With the band, yeah. Unfortunately, sad, sad thing. Mm -hmm. An incredibly funky guitar player. And you would really in a pocket with a real groove, and uh, there was just this really primal, very simple thing that just pushed it along and, and they it, knew who they were from the beginning yeah there was no like there was no like trying to be some other thing they knew exactly who they no. were now i don't think they even could be anything else <laughs> i mean no literally <laughs> right yeah like, right it was really funny and i i don't know if this is talking out of school or not but they were very like uncomfortable like there were there would often be bands like why don't you come on and jam with us and they go yeah no no there's a sort of level of discomfort like that's out of our Purview. I feel that all the time. Yeah. Why don't you come do this event? Nah, but but, but, but lots of people that. just go, you know, there are people that go, of course, and they just dive right in right. And, and, and they're fantastic and at they're it. And they're fantastic. And, and I'm not saying they wouldn't be fantastic, but it just wasn't in their comfort thing. Yeah. But in their pocket, bloody hell. Amazing. So you're, well, going back to the legend of Barry Taylor, you're uh -huh. on the Highway to Hell tour, is it? Uh, one of them, yeah. <laughs> and you weren't, weren't they all? No, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> and you have these. Ex you start having these experiences. Are you having experiences? Or uh, no. Let, let's set uh, the let's set the myth straight here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there there are different ways of telling telling the story. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? And and at different points in your life, you have different language yes. for things. Yes, yes. So I, I I think very early on in 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 my sort of Christian experience, I I co opted. The yes. language I was given to talk yes, about things, sure. but but what happened was so I was I I was traveling. Now you have to remember my involvement. I love music, but I didn't want really a, a career in music in that way. I like to make music and stuff like that, and I really enjoyed it for the travel and the ability to go different places and uh, and see the world. And the, the funny thing was is that the bigger the band got, the less the more contracted my job got, like the less responsibility, mm. but the less freedom there was to go explore stuff. I don't know how to explain it, but it just, your life gets, you, you suddenly wind up like it sort of reached a point where it didn't matter if we were in Tokyo or Cincinnati, you were just inside a big yeah. room. Your day would unfold and, like and, it does in any other arena and in any yeah. other city. And then you leave. And, and I started to get bored and I'd always been a reader and I'd, I'd always been, nagged like i'm just a questioner just i you know about all things and i'd always had this i don't even know what it is existential angst mm -hmm. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know i'm not even angst just a, a hunger for sense of things what or, are we doing here what yeah, is this those, what matters yeah. why or, are some things and and, yeah. and, and, and and so here i am i'm sort of I'm having a fantastic time. I mean, you know, it's hard not to have a good time when every night you're throwing a party for people. <laughs> the people at the parties are quite willing to throw themselves at you and the English accent doesn't hurt. Um, you're getting paid. You're traveling the world. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's not bad. It, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it, it's hard to be, uh, oh, uh, it wasn't that at all. It was just that internally I, I was restless. So I turned where I'd always turned, which was to to books. I'd always been a reader and I'd always been uh, into philosophy and, and stuff like that. And I really, because I was looking at this and I'm going, well, here's the, here's the world that to, to young, to, to all of us as, as young people sort of represents the exit strategy from normality, you know, opportunity, especially, you know, in England, you know, the music business was this 
way out for working class people and, and, uh, and stuff like that. But, you know, being on the inside of it, you see it for what it is, which is business. It's just life. And it's just the same people. It, it's exotic and incredibly boring at the same time. You know, all of, all of those things. And so I, and, and I'm sort of looking at this and, 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 and I, and, and, and the deal was, I, I was not liking who I was becoming as a person. I was, I was finding myself to be just a little too easily able to get my own way with things and with people. And I just was just uncomfortable. Like, this is not the kind of person I want to be. Hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to work this out because I want to be a, a different kind of human being. So I start reading books and, and, and I don't, you know, I'd always been fascinated with philosophy, like I said. And I, I, I don't know, I was reading Nietzsche and I was reading Jung and I was reading Thomas Mann, you know, and I'm, I'm on the tour bus, you know. And I mean, literally, it's like a line of cocaine and a page of Jung. I mean, whatever. You can edit that out if you like, or I don't Why care. Why in the world would I edit that? I don't out? know. <laughs> I have a no editing out policy. <laughs> okay, good, because I don't mind either. Uh, but anyway, you know, I'm I'm sort of, but but I, I'm reading all this stuff, and, and, and the one thing that I've really not investigated in my life is religion. Mm-hmm. Very, like, sort of non-religious, and even though growing up in England and going to English school, you're exposed particularly to Christianity. So I knew all about religion and the only person I knew who had any religion in their life at all was my granny. So ACDC, granny, the two don't... ACDC wins. ACDC, yeah. you know, life wins, not it's granny. It's that weird thing yeah. when religion is so present that it you're almost inoculated against it's, it. Yeah, it's your... Like whatever Christian. that is, it offers nothing. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I've been to church with my granny, you know, six people huddled in a smelly old building, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I start reading and I'm, I'm reading all of this philosophy stuff and the philosophy, um, obviously, well, obviously I, I become aware that a lot of what's said in these philosophical books is a critique of or a reaction towards or against religion. Mm, particularly mm-hmm. Christianity. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hmm, what do I think about religion? Never thought about it. Maybe I should think about it. So I start buying all these religious books. And I'm I'm pretty sure that I don't want to know about Christianity. So um, I start buying all these books. And, and, you know, this is the late 70s. It's like, it's actually in the air. I don't know it at the time, but it's in the air. And I start reading all these books, and, and, and I'm a bit uh, obsessive or ADD or, or whatever. I mean, I get, like, really into something, and I start to get really thorough, and I start to make notes on things, and start and, 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 I'm, and I'm not looking for God. Never have, actually, in my life ever been looking for God. Still still I'm not, funnily enough. <laughs> but but I, I, what I'm interested in, in what is it? that takes us to a different depth of hum- mm-hmm. human experience human experience, and, and, and being human. That's what I'm after. Looking around, is this too long-winded? This is fantastic. All right, fine. Just checking, because you know, it's me talking in my own head. I've heard this all before. <laughs> We're right with you. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm buying all these books, and I'm looking around, and uh, I, I, I go to Nashville. And there's a bunch of people picketing the gig. Jesus people. You know, you're going to go to hell. I'm like, well, happily happily will because you won't be there. You know, I mean, that's our attitude. But I'm like, hmm, Christianity. What do I think about that? So I go out and I buy a Bible. And I start to read the Bible. And I'm very, very not impressed. Um, it's, it makes no sense to me, you know, and I, I, I literally, I start with Genesis in the beginning, God, <laughs> don't believe that. I mean, like I'm making notes. I mean, this is, I'm serious. So, and, and, and this is a story of only just, I've only told this story publicly once. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, 
Ladies and gentlemen, a Robcast exclusive. A Robcast exclusive. <laughs> well, it's very important, and, and there's a reason why I haven't told it, because I, I don't think I was ready to tell it for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I understand that. So, I was, I was, so I've got all these things swirling around in my head. And uh, we, we go, we're on tour, we're in San Antonio. We're staying at this hotel, and uh, we're there for two or three days, and I meet this girl who's working at the hotel. And we have this little flirtation, but I'm not really paying that much attention. We have this little flirtation back and forth, as you do. <laughs> and um, I, I, I come back and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember the whole, the, the whole thing. All I know is I came back to the hotel on my own later in, in the evening. So the, we must have played in the afternoon or, or, or whatever. And this girl is just leaving and she says, oh, hey, and we have a little chat and we have this little moment. She's like, do you want to come home with me? And I'm like, yeah. So I like go off with this girl and we get in her car and we drive out of San Antonio out into the sort of suburbs and stuff. And it's kind of late by now. And we wind up at this house and uh <laughs> We, we do what you do. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, actually, we, we don't do what we do yet, but we start to do what we do. And uh, she says, uh, wait, wait a second, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be right back. You know, we're in this house and, and it's, she's like, we have to be quiet. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on. But we, so we go into this room and anyway, she comes back and, 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 and she says, oh, why don't you get in? So I get in bed. Anyway, to cut the long story short, before we do what we do, she says, do you mind if I pray for you? And I'm like, uh... What? She said, uh, no, I, I don't mean it that way. I just said, uh, I, I, I don't know. She said, well, can I just pray for us before we, before we do make love? Do what we're going to do. Before we do what we're going to do. And I'm like, sure. I mean, I've had weirder experiences. So I just figure I'll just chalk this one up to, to something. So she prays. And she prays this like full-on kind of Jesus prayer. Like, dear Jesus, thank you so much for this time. And I'm like... I don't know what's going on. So that happens. We do what we do. I spend the night. I get up in the morning. As I walk into the kitchen and I walk into a room full of people with guitars and Bibles having a Bible study. I spend the night with a girl who's in a Christian cult called the Children of God. <laughs> oh, my word. And uh, so... But here's the but here's here's the interesting thing, and this is why I've started to tell this story because it's important. That was the first time, as an adult, I'd ever been prayed for. I'd never had a, an adult conversation about God or anything like that, and I was in the middle of this searchy thing. And I'm trying to work out what I think about things. And then I have this strange experience, which is, if you like to put it in contemporary religious language, carnal and yet spiritual at the same time, <laughs> right? And, and now I've got two people in my life who have some connection to Christianity. My granny and this girl whose name actually was Comfort. You can't make you it up. You cannot and I'm not, make this and up. And I'm not making it up. You cannot make this up. But that, that, that was what made me seriously consider what I thought about Christianity. That was the catalyst. And I went, I have to get to the bottom of this because here's, and I, you know, I didn't want, they didn't even ask me to join their cult. They knew, I mean, I was going off, I left that town that day, never heard from them again, you know. And it was only when I told some friends of mine afterwards that, a little bit later, they all freaked out, you know. Um, I was like, well, you know, it's kind of really weird. I, I went back to my friends, like, have a good night. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of weird, though, because she, like, prayed for me. And they're like, she what? Because, <laughs> you know, you tell stories, but you don't usually tell those kind of stories. Yeah, you know what right, I mean? Right. But anyway, um, that's – so I sort of went, okay, so what's the deal with this Jesus guy then? And that was really the the beginning. And, and the funny thing is, is that part of the reason I was um, interested 
in revitalizing my humanity because there was a part of me that didn't really like the kind of person I was coming when it came to the opposite sex and stuff like that. You know, it's very easy when you're, and I, I, I don't want to get on some diatribe about sex and drugs and rock and roll. That's, that's been way overdone, but it's very easy to become when things are like gifted to you uh, and you can just take things for granted to become a little harder on the edges and, and just mm. not. And, and that's what got me. That was the, uh, that was the thing that, that I struggled with. So um, it was, that was the, the kind of sort of turning point for me. And, and, and that's where I really started to like investigate, well, what do I think about Jesus? And, and in, when I sort of started to put all this stuff together, there were other religious things that appealed to me. I didn't, f I didn't even really know what, what to think about Christianity because I hadn't really experienced it. But, you know, I had, these reference points, Church of England, Granny, you know, that kind of stuff. But I wasn't really interested in religion and or God. And when I encounter my, so my encounter with Jesus and, and the, the, the story, the, the transformative story for me was the story in the Gospels uh, where um, Jesus is at the Pharisee's house and the woman comes in and pours fragrance you know and wipes his feet with her tears and stuff like that and there's this line and it, it was the this was the line that turned me around um there's this dynamic so you know jesus pharisee's house the woman comes in and the pharisee says to himself well if this man were truly a prophet he would know what kind of woman she is who's touching him because she's a prostitute and then there's this amazing line and it says, turning to the woman, Jesus said to the Pharisee, do you see this woman? And for whatever reason, the, the theatrics of that, because, uh -huh. you know, if I look at Kristen right now and I say, Rob, do you see Kristen? Unless you're blind or unless you choose not to see her, you, it's unavoidable that you see her. But I realized the the Pharisee couldn't see this woman because he'd labeled her. Yeah. She was a prostitute, not a human being, not a broken woman, not a suffering woman. She was categorized and labeled as unclean and, and untouchable. And, and I was like, that's the person I want to be. I want to be that person, the person that doesn't see, doesn't put other people in boxes, label them or categorize them. That's the kind of human, literally, that was what it was for me. The rest of it made no sense to me. You know, <laughs> you know, the, the, the rest yeah. of the New Testament, right, right. You know, all that stuff. It was like, but there's yeah. something within me was like, that's the kind of human yeah. that I want to be. So, yeah. So then, uh, and then we can move on from here. So then, you know, so this happens outside of the church. I have no relationship to Christianity. And I spent like another year, year and a half working and then i came to california and a couple of friends out here that said story not worth that'll be in my book no i'm just kidding um, <laughs> but um but, but uh, and then and they got and that's when i sort of got involved in the church and that's when i was given a whole set of language about all of this stuff oh you realize oh there's this whole tradition that has all these names for what i had just been through well i was told yes exactly. That. and because you take you know you're young these people know you just take it all on I adopted uh, a, a language and a means of expressing this. And suddenly my whole relationship with Christianity became all about God. Hmm. Which, and it's taken me 30 years uh, got it. to come back around to the fact that it's not that I'm not interested in God, but it's the, the human questions of what it means to be alive what it means to be aware and awake and, and conscious to the world, conscious to yourself, conscious to others, that I think yeah. is, for me, the, the, the gem in religion Yes. That, that, I, that I want. But it's taken me 25 years to sort of refine that voice and go, ah, this is why I was in the game in the first place. This is what interested me. Yeah. And my life has been a series of um, essentially reflections and movements towards rediscovering 
something that I never learned to fully give voice to in the first place. Yes, it's like you're handed this whole system of labels and categories yeah. and descriptions that can be extremely helpful. It could also be part of the problem and yeah. get in the way of the actual genuine yeah, experience. Which is why I could never tell really that story. Because mm. how do you tell a story like some girl I had sex with in Texas prayed for me before we had sex, illicit sex, mind you, um, <laughs> uh, and, and that that was a catalyst for my encounter with the sacred? Yes. Doesn't yeah, exactly. You know, you have to go, that's all, everything about that is wrong. Because <laughs> it doesn't fit in a world of uh, of neatly labeled, right, sacred, right. profane, clean, unclean. Until you move to the place of consciousness where you realize that's often how the divine speaks to us. Well, it, through the know, most unexpected situations. You know, it's that, it's the, as, as wacky as he is, no offense, you know, Altai's a quote, you know, we shouldn't say no to the profanity of our age. We should say yes to it if we want to understand the nature of the sacred. You know, and that doesn't mean you, you mm. sort of go out and bury yourself in a pile of heroin, but, but it does mean that you realize that sometimes the divine shows up in the dirt first. Or as Philip Dick says, you know, the divine always shows up first at the trash level, which I think is a fantastic quote. Such a fantastic quote. And... So that's the myth. That, good. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if there's any, even any clearer. I love it. That's the latest. I, it's so beautiful. And then where, where do you go from there? Now that you're in California, then you, yeah, well, then you get you a know, job in a church? Yeah, well, you what, know... What, where does this go? <laughs> well, it goes... It, it it goes very kind of uh, it goes back to that thing like where you said you know there are people that are very clear who have this single thing that they do mm-hmm. and then you have other people who just sort of follow these threads yeah. and I was somewhat threadless in Los Angeles and so almost by default and by virtue of the fact that I had some money I had time on my hands and stuff. I got involved and I was quite happy to because I was diving into this thing. Yeah. yeah. And you know, well, maybe you don't, but you just sort of wind up. You make these connections. You discover that you can do certain things. Because, you know, I, in the middle of all of this, I, I was this quite, and I still am, actually painfully shy person who has spent an awful lot of time in life uh trying to overcome a, a, a deep uh, <laughs> self-loathing, self-negating tendency mm-hmm. to like disappear. But, I, uh, but I, I, I did have an ability to talk, to communicate. Fascinating. And uh, that sort of got nurtured and I got involved in the system of Christianity and, and I don't mean that disparagingly. It's you know, yeah. It's, this, yeah, yeah. it's not all, it's not all bad. It's not all good. It's we transcend it's, and include. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, exactly. Um, but I've also, but it's also been uh, the environment, and it's why I sort of remain in the realm of the religious, is because I think once you step out, you lose your right to speak. Mm. I don't necessarily mean from just church. I just mean a conversation. If you take yourself out of what's going on, because it's always easy to posture from the outside, yeah. to have opinions, but when yeah. when you live it. So, you know, I just got involved in churches, non-denominational churches, uh, and, 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 and then the other mechanism is I'm really good at uh, every seven, eight, nine years when I reach a point of no return, I'm pretty good at a little act of self-destruction that will get me out of that um, when I can't find uh-huh. my own voice for it. You, you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, so, so, so that's been along the way as well, you know. So, yes. um, you find the eject button. I do. When, and, and, you, and, and I've learned over the years to use it less and less. Mm-hmm. I still use it though. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> that <laughs> the dogs will be bark my no dog. More. <laughs> Who is a bit cranked up about uh, something? Uh, your son, apparently. Oh, is it really? Yeah. My goodness. You know. Okay. Um, so, so what? So really, w- what happened then is, I I've learnt the the lesson that I think life offered me, 
and that was because very early on in 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 this uh journey i was very impacted so i i i told you that i was going to write something and the the thing that i'm writing is basically predicated on 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 the notion that it that, that it's quite often small events that have profound impact mm-hmm. on the course of your life so yep. that one line in Luke's gospel do you see this woman is what was really a, a, an axis point of shift for me so there have been a few of those along the way and one of the one of the early ones was there was a um, a line in a biography about John Wesley that I read at a time when I was really struggling with being me in the horizon of the Christian church as a church leader wanting to retain some sense of myself but feeling pushed to be like this fit the mold fit the mold and you kind of want to fit the mold and you don't want to fit the mold and 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 as i said i, I well i mean i'm i'm an internalized anyway this there was a line in in this wesley biography that said when you know when when wesley was starting these meeting houses and he was building this sort of movement within the anglican church uh, uh, originally um a lot of these places would just take his sermons and just read them and he sent a letter to these meeting houses and based on a a statement um about John the Baptist and he said every person he said man but every person should strive to be a voice and not an echo wow and the last 30 years have for me been an attempt to find my voice in the middle of all of this and let the reverberations of other ideas have impact but not dictate or be what comes out of me but aids to finding my own rhythm melody chorus hook yes yeah in 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 this thing as prince that says chord life <laughs> oh it's beautiful and you're You teach in a seminary. You teach at Pasadena Design College, the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. You teach yeah. advertising. Yeah, I teach in the School of Advertising. <laughs> Because when and I was doing my PhD, I was fascinated. I've always liked advertising and graphics, but it interests me the way advertising functions as a competitor to religion. It's a philosophy of living. Just do it. It's a slogan, but it's a way of life. Uh, so it's a competitor to religion, in a sense. in sometimes a replacement two competing forces essentially competing for which narrative will you live in yeah what does it mean to be human what does it mean to live yeah are and, we here and, to and, consume and, and yeah exactly and, and and of course um the the thing that's interesting is that uh advertising embeds people in this world in particular ways through the mechanisms of consumption and stuff like that religion as i experienced it for a long time and uh, i'm sure perhaps it might be the same for you w- within christianity it's always about getting out of life life's in the way of real life which happens somewhere else at some other ah. time you, you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and i'm like yeah yeah but that can't counter uh materialist philosophy it doesn't help it leaves people in the lurch so i wanted to sort of explore um the way the way so that's what i'm interested in i i'm i'm interested in the intersection of uh <laughs> life humanity and whatever your iteration of the sacred is and for me that's been through the lens of jesus and i must say essentially through what i interpret as the humanity of jesus yes. rather than necessarily the divinity of jesus yeah, i, I uh, don't want to argue that right, I, right, I, right, right. i don't care i mean i probably should care i do care yeah. but it's not my principal point yeah. of departure and and that's something again that i've spent a long time coming to terms with yep, and yep. feeling comfortable just going you know what i don't don't want to fight you about it cuz if that's not your 
focus, that's great. But right. but don't try and make your focus my focus. Here's here's my here's my thing. Absolutely. And, uh, I always say he know, comes in his full humanity to lead us into our full humanity. Yeah. And if and it's if not, not the best the point? news, <laughs> if it's not the best news and announcement and wisdom and insight about what it means to be human, then yeah. it doesn't have much to say. No. And and of course, if I was going to be critical or sarcastic or cynical, which I can be all three because I'm British, um, I would say that that's where Christianity, in my experience over the last 30 years, has had its biggest problem. Absolutely. Because it's proclaimed something different to that and then wondered why it doesn't work for people. Exactly. For, for many people, the fundamental message was some other place, some other time. Yeah. When the one thing Jesus said over and over again is yeah. it's about full life right here, right now. Yeah. And that's just such a great story. And that's just so great. That's just a great story. You know, I mean, I think we 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 all have these stories, really. Yes. You know. Um, yes. And sometimes what, what what you have to find is the language to tell your story. Yeah. And and again, you can't do that with a generic. Like I mean, like one of the tragedies of our time is, and and I address this actually in in my advertising classes because it's a lot about words. Is you know our our reach in terms of um, the words that we access is shrinking. We, we're less, ex- everything is awesome. Well, uh, if everything's awesome, nothing's awesome. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? If everything's cool, nothing's cool, you know? Yeah. But, we, but we, we're sort of reducing and reducing and reducing language. And, and you see it uh, on, on a personal level, um, but you also see it uh, within the horizons of um, ideologies like religion. There's only one way to talk about salvation or conversion or, you know, and if you don't use that language, people think there's something wrong or you, you use the wrong word. You, you, you say awareness in, 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 instead of being saved or you talk about consciousness and people think you've like suddenly gone new age or, you know, when it's like, no, 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 consciousness was around before the new age movement, you know. Do you know what I mean? So, so we, play, we play language games anyway in, yeah. in, in life, but if ever there was a time that we needed richer, broader, and more complex language to talk about Thank you. religion and spirituality. It has to be now. Thank you. I, actually, a friend of mine, we always joke that the British still believe in language. Yeah. Um, but I notice this when I'm in England doing a Q&A. The, in America, often the person will, I have a question, you know, about, there's more of a shrug, more of a, you know, stuff. Um, but the the Brits... Or if they want to ask you a question publicly, they're going to ask you a question publicly. And and it's really interesting culturally. There's much more precision. Yeah. There's much more reflection. There's been more work, even in just raising their hand and asking a question, to uh, more shades of clarity. Yeah. So it isn't just, how do you feel about stuff? It's, what are your top three insights about X as it relates to Y yeah. In the context of Z and... Yeah, one of the things I, I, I said to somebody the other day that one of the things I miss about England in general or Britain in general is when you leave the house, you have to leave with your A game because you would... <laughs> because culturally, the British, it's just... Yes. It's just like this, you yes. know? It's just this sharp... There's a sharpness. Absolutely. Not, not aggressive. There's just a, a witty, like my, my the, the funniest people I know are, are my British friends. And I keep, uh, you know, with, with a couple of exceptions, but, but basically it's like, ah, that's what it yep. is. It's, it's that thing that, yeah. that, and uh, yeah. So, um, I realize it can be biting and critical and cynical, but I also, I actually think it's rooted in dignity. Yeah. I, I, I think you're probably right. And the words that we use and the way that we carry ourselves matter. Uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Yes, uh, absolutely, and it's, in its whole, in its health, and in yeah. its best sense, best sense, it's yeah. rooted in a, in a nobility and a dignity that comes from being human. We ought to carry ourselves like we're humans. Yeah, that's true. And right. uh, Kristen knows I always go on about sweatpants. You know, sweatpants. I, it's like I've just given up. Not that I'm against sweatpants, but there's like this. Uh, I've just given up. So let's oh, no, just no. go well, to the lowest again, level. There's I mean, my sweatpants riff. I'll but tell there's you what, this British like yeah. respect, honor. Oh no! Let's uh, yeah. treat each other. I mean, Here you go. I'm like, I, when, when I, the, the the funny thing is, you know, I, I live in California. I hate the way Californians dress. 
I hate the way Americans dress. No offense, for the most part. Sure. That's very broad. That's rude. That's fine. But we'll take it. That like really flip flops. Let me just tell you, <laughs> at the edge of the sand. That's where you put your shoes on. <laughs> cargo shorts. Yeah. Okay. If you're working on a cargo ship. I mean, I've got cargo shorts, but you know what I mean. I mean, look at me. I'm wearing a waistcoat and a shirt and a tie, and it's 75 today, and I don't care because I'm going to dress as one absolutely sh- as one, crushing it with this, with this as, outfit. As one should Taking dress. another picture of this. <laughs> I mean, if you can wear shoes with white polka dots on, why wouldn't you? This picture will go up when we post the interview <laughs> because the camouflage coat the polka dot shoes the socks with some sort of biology theme <laughs> i don't know what it yeah where by the thing. way did you get a camouflage necktie from a camouflage necktie shop i think it's from the hillside <laughs> if we're going to talk labels <laughs> always good for Perfect. ties we'll get Perfect. you some we'll get you some corporate sponsorship from the hillside i don't know i think this interview is now perfect <laughs> now that we landed there i i i just it's it's a beautiful thing. You're a beautiful voice in the world, and I love that we've cleared up the mythology. And I <laughs> or love, complicated it. I I love the this. I love the story about the woman and the prayer. I love the line from the gospel where where some it speaks to you about a, almost like a new understanding of what it means to be human. I want to be like that. Mm. It's really beautiful and inspiring. <laughs> thank you. Well, where thank can people you. track you down? Uh, Twitter, well, Facebook, website. Yeah, all I, that? I, I, I I spend a lot of time on Instagram. Okay. UK bloke. UK bloke, B-L-O-K-E. Yep. Yeah, bloke. I have a website. It's called lifelabla.com. Lifelabla.com. Yeah, that's another venture we haven't talked about, but we'll talk about that another. <laughs> well, it's a life school that I started. Okay. And, and actually, I'm doing an event at the end of March, the 25th and the 26th yep. in downtown LA. Fantastic. What's called it called? The Future Isn't What It Used To Be. Oh, faith, as a man who appreciates a good title. Faith, unpredictability, and possibility. Good Lord. Are we, Kristen, are we, have you already signed us up for this? Where where are you doing it? In, in this place called uh, Art Space LA. It's right behind Little Tokyo. I think I've heard of it. It's a cool venue. Is, you should use it sometime. Well, this is fantastic. We need to crash this party or something. Okay. Yeah, come crash it. I love it. I love it. I love it. We Thank won't wear you. headsets. Right, right. A little <laughs> less dorky. <laughs> Thank you for being on the Robcast. Uh, thanks for having Friends, me. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this introduction to the one and only... Barry Taylor. Much love, grace and peace.